Welcome to the Heretex podcast. You can get us at heretex.io or send us email at feedback at heretex.io. We'd love to hear your thoughts about the show and whether perhaps you'd like to join us for a chat yourself. It's time to talk about change. Greetings. Uh, we're all here together to the Heretex podcast. I am Mark Birch, and I'm here with uh, Justin. Want to introduce yourself? Hey, everyone. This is Justin Arbuckle. Uh, it's great to be with you once again. Um, also pleased to say that we have, I think, um, got some improved kit. So hopefully you will, for those of you that have been following for a while now, uh, you should have improved sound thanks to our sound engineer, uh, Mr. Alan Neal. Yes, thank you, Alan. Uh, we have a Cracker Jack team here to always improve upon what Justin and I uh, tend to mess up on a regular basis. So uh, we're glad that we have team. people. It's, it's a huge <laughs> team. <laughs> there, there, are, there, are, there are tens of hundreds of people, in <laughs> fact, that uh, help, uh, help us uh, correct lots of mistakes that we make on this podcast. Indeed. Uh, so understand that we, we are all about the quality on the show. Continuous improvement, baby. Well, yeah, uh, we are like the, the DevOps team of podcasts. <laughs> right. Actually, no, no, no. I think the better phrase would be chaos monkeys of podcasts. <laughs> yeah. It, yes. Um, well, it, well, you speak about chaos monkeys, and I think about chaos engineering. And I think of like real engineers that we tend to uh, try to bring on the show, but they run away mm -hmm. out of uh, – out of fear of interacting with the two of us, but I, I managed to actually get a really incredible human being, uh, an incredible technologist to join us uh, today to talk about, I think, a few things around sustainability and technology, to talk about the, the relevance of being a technical leader and having technical skills in leading organizations. And so I'd love to introduce uh, Sao Shang to the podcast. Hi, Sao Shang. Hi, Mark. Maybe uh, obviously I can uh, introduce you, but I think you can do a much better job of introducing yourself because uh, uh, as you're probably all aware, already aware, uh, Justin and I are terrible at actually introducing our guests. So please uh, do share a bit about yourself. I think we can, uh, we can have a really amazing conversation. Sure. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, uh, Justin. So it's the first time I've been on a podcast, so uh, I'm not really good at this recording thing. So forgive me if uh, I do all kinds of weird things on, on this. Um, I guess I can be a bit rambly as well, so you know I'm just going to speak. Um, so my name is Sao Xiong. I'm I'm from Singapore. This is where I'm actually doing this podcast from, uh, together with Mark. Although I think we are in a separate place. So I work for this company called uh, SP Digital. So I'm I'm the, the the sort of founder for this company. We are a fully owned subsidiary of the main power utility in Singapore, because obviously like Singapore Power. Um, and I've been doing this for about three and a half years now. But prior to that, I've been uh, in different tech companies. I've been in PayPal, I've been in Yahoo, I've been in HP, and uh, this is my twenty fifth year of uh, working life. Um, and I've been doing mostly around the same thing, actually. It's uh, uh, building and leading software engineering teams to build products, um, even here with the, the SP Digital. So that, that's a little bit about me. Yeah, and what I, what I thought was interesting, when, when we first met, I think the, the role that you were in was to build up a technology team in a 
in a utility company. That's right. So a wholly focused technology arm to deliver technology products to the to the consumer base here in Singapore. Mm-hmm. And you know now you are effectively the chief executive officer of this organization. Yep. But what has always fascinated me, and you know we've had lots of times to interact, is you're also super engaged in the technology community. You've been involved in things like GopherCon, mm-hmm. uh, various other technology events. And you yourself are an active coder who has an active GitHub yep. account. So I would say I've been an engineer um, most of my career. And uh, my day job is really being a, an engineering manager. So I manage uh, uh, engineering teams. But my passion is in, in software development and also in uh, the software development community. I used to, I used to organize like uh, uh, Java meetups a uh, long, long time ago, right? That was like in the uh, ni- late 1990s. That was uh, the Java, uh, Singapore Java Users Group. And then after that, I sort of switched over to Ruby. And then I was part of the uh, Singapore Ruby Brigade in Singapore. And um, a few years ago, uh, maybe more than a few years ago, uh, we started off this uh, Singapore uh, uh, Go Users Group. And uh, we also started off the GoForCon Singapore, which is the, today, it's the largest Go uh, community-led conference in Southeast Asia. We had about 600 wow. plus participants last year uh, held in in, uh, in Singapore at the uh, really nice Marina Bay Sands. But um, this year, we're going to do it again and it's going to be much bigger. So I, I do speak on the circuit as well. Uh, I used to speak on the, the Ruby circuit. And then after that, I, I'm currently speaking on the, on the Go circuit uh, in terms of speaking in developer conferences. Um, I spoke in uh, a number of Go conferences. My most recent one, I think, was in Vietnam last year, uh, the GopherCon Vietnam. And this year, uh, I think in April, I'll be at the GopherCon Europe in Berlin. So mm-hmm. uh, I speak as well. Um, I, I also write. I, I write a kind of a really, well, I say really very, um, I would say diverse topics, uh, a block of diverse topics. Uh, it's mostly technical, but I actually write about a lot of things. Uh, I used to write uh, books as well, although I think that is just taking too much of my time. So I, I stopped writing books and right. I just focus on blogs because you know I can finish it over a weekend uh, and then I move on. Right? Books takes like a year of my life. So yeah, yeah. But books, I'm in the process of doing that now, and it, it just it's kind of painful because it takes so long, and you can only do so many pages at a time. Yeah. Uh, blogs are great. Uh, your blog, by the way, uh, and we'll put this in the show notes, but your your last blog post in Shang's Corner on Medium, uh, really super interesting around cultural modeling. And so we'll provide that for folks that want to uh, check out the blog post as well as the uh, the GitHub mm-hmm. repo. What was, what's, what was the fascination with, with Go and wanting to dive into that more deeply? Basically, I, I like Go because of the syntax and uh, because of the community as well. Um, a lot of Rubyists like myself uh, actually move on to, to doing Go because uh, there are a lot of similarities in the programming language. And uh, I still do Ruby. I, I still code in Ruby uh, every now and then, though my, my main programming language now is, is Go. Uh, and I dabble a bit of Python because of uh, you know data and, and stuff like that. 
but go, I, I, I like it because it's really concise, really uh, no nonsense, and uh, its performance is great. And it really suits the style of the kind of things I write. So I'm more of a back-end kind of guy. I'm actually pretty terrible in writing front-end stuff. Um, I'm not a, right. I'm not a like a JavaScript guy. You know, I, I, I suck at everything that's like front-end. So I'm a back-end kind of guy. So Go is a back-end programming language. Uh, you code it, you, you compile it to the binary, and then you just pop it up to wherever you want to run it. And uh, it just fits the kind of style of uh, uh, software that I write. Yeah, I, I took a I took a front end engineering class at a General Assembly in New York City uh, many years ago. Uh, I will tell you that I'm I am not a uh, front end person <laughs> at all. <laughs> Sitting there trying to align pixels and getting everything pixel perfect is uh, not the level of patience yeah, that it, I uh, yes, that I tell it, at. It requires a certain type of personality that you know you will find those kind of things fascinating, uh, which totally like is is not me at all. That's that's what it is. You know, because you are a technology leader, you know, one of the things that I think is a, a common struggle, and we've had a number of folks on the podcast who are have gotten fairly senior in their in their technology careers. Most of what they do day to day has very little to do with actual sitting there coding or looking at code or doing code reviews. Do you find that you're still having a, a strong handle on technology and code? has been a benefit as an engineering leader? I, I think it does. Um, I don't actually code much for work. Uh, at various parts of my career, I actually did uh, when I was in smaller startups and, and so on. Um, I actually went hands-on and, and coded some of the stuff, all back-end stuff, really. In, uh, in a larger team where I'm actually just mostly managing people and uh, managing other managers. And of course, now I do a completely different role because it's not just about managing people, it's about managing a company. Uh, the kind of things that I do are very different. But ultimately, in all the companies I've been, it's, uh, I'm a, a tech leader. It's a tech company that I, I run. So uh, without the technology skills, I think it's hard for you to, hard for me to relate to the uh, products that we develop and to the market we sell to. So I, I, I believe that if you don't know what you're building, don't know what you're selling, it's kind of difficult um, to actually convince somebody to buy your products because, you know, uh, that you'd be just a salesman, right? Uh, rather than somebody who built a, a product and then uh, you're pushing it out because you believe the product can do, uh, can bring a lot of value to your customers. How do you think your, your experience as a software engineer informs how you how you run a company? Mm, I think there's, there's both good and bad in, in, in uh, being a software engineer and running a company. So, I mean, first of all, I must say that uh, my previous role, which is what I spent most of my career in, is in, in uh, doing engineering management. It's nothing like running a company because running an engineering team, you're really uh, basically managing people and uh, managing deliverables and making sure that uh, you, you come up with the products or come up with the projects that... Uh, that you're managing. Whereas managing a company is that and much more and everything else in between, right? So hmm. you, you really need to, to bring value to the customers. You need to sell to the customers. You need to evangelize your product, your company. Uh, you need to convince people to stay on. You need to bring people in. It's like everything else, right? From uh, top to bottom. Right. So being right. an engineer, um, I think the, my, my basic 
instinct is really on on building stuff and uh, creating value. So that is something that I bring to uh, the current role that I have uh, because that sort of sharpens my focus in saying that uh, whatever that we want to sell to our customers must bring value to them and we need the value that is uh, clearly defined uh, and that people would want to actually pay for it. So that's that's really, for me, that's what I bring. Of course, I'm, I'm not a salesman, so I try to uh, beef up my team with uh, actual salesmen, actual business development people and uh, people who can do the, their yeah. proper jobs, right? Uh, for me, I would just bring my capabilities and my uh, uh, and my skills, and then I, I bring the team of people together, and uh, we go out and uh, try to do the best that we can. Well, I think that's so critical, right? Understanding where your strengths and weaknesses lie, and as a, a overall leader, a company leader, to be able to bring the resource that you need to be successful. Uh, but it is interesting. I mean, you know, when I think about my transition from being an engineer when I started off my career to going into a, a sales role, you know, for me, it was, I don't know how to do this role at, at all. And this is my main job. How will I be successful? And I think for me, it was understanding how to think about a process, how to solve problems actually helped inform me in thinking of how do I, how do I run a sales meeting? How do I get sales meetings? How do I run a sales process end to end? And I think it was that, that problem-solving process mindset that helped me to navigate a career and a bunch of skills I just didn't really have to help me be a bit more confident until I got to a situation where I could be around other salespeople and learn some of those, those mm-hmm. skills from mm-hmm. others. Uh, so it is, a, it is an interesting transition. But I think that's like the grounding that I had as an engineer really helped me to I think, in a way, acquire other skills because of that process yes, mindset. Absolutely. In fact, my entire sales team, which is very small, I just have two salespeople. Um, they are both. They they were both engineers. So that that you actually hit the, hit it right on the on the head the the, the nail on the head there because uh, uh, these guys really run this like a you know as a process you know the going out and and you know doing those things that needs to be done in a very methodical way. Um, and and that actually brings a structure to to the entire process in uh, bringing the, the the sales process forward. Well, I mean, t- taking taking the argument the other way, then um, after your um, I'm sure incredibly successful tenure running this company, uh, imagine you go back and just do engineering again. So, you know, being essentially a software engineer. Uh, an engineering manager, what lessons do you think running a company will be useful for your engineering self mm-hmm. to put into daily practice as an engineer? I, I think for me it would be the uh, the uh, thinking of it from a business point of view. Because at the end of the day, you know, I mean, you, if you look at what I, I used to do, uh, a lot of times uh, we built things because, you know, we, we talk to the product managers, product managers say, hey, you know, this is what should be built. Uh, they give us the necessary like uh, uh, stories that we need to, to to deliver, and then we we execute, right? So that that has mm-hmm. uh, been the case even throughout most of my career as an engineering manager. There, there, there tends to be a lot less understanding uh, the business part of it, why we are actually doing these things, and what kind of value those products will bring. There, there is a understanding, but I think the understanding is quite basic uh, because. The, the interaction as an engineer 
to the the actual customers is quite rare, and and rightly so because uh, unless you are in a really small startup, which which I have been in the past, uh, you hardly ever interact with the the actual customers. So having done this role for about a year or so, um, it actually gives me a different perspective on on how technology brings value for our customers and why they actually want to pay the kind of money they're paying for our products. So that that uh, sort of shapes. Uh, not only the product, but the even the the reason why we build certain products in a way, like the, the business model, how the business model changed from uh, selling uh, software licenses to uh, subscriptions today, and uh, why the journey or why are we doing it this way. So I I think with experience in uh, uh, different parts of the tech company really brings right. value back to the the engineering process. And in fact, this is something that I I uh, constantly try to engage my own engineers and uh, try to explain some of these things. And I I get, I guess with uh, my perspective uh, in the past as an engineer, I can actually bring some of these things back. Uh, I, I believe it's pretty useful for the team. Mm. Yeah, I think one of the things I've realized is just the idea of being able to convey ideas and think a little bit more broad stream, that you can take a lot of those skills and bring it back to engineering teams to help them to understand yep to analyze like why they do the things that they do to think more broadly about it's not just the technology considerations, but the business and customer mm-hmm. consideration. Um, yeah, hugely valuable. In fact, there's a, you know, I've, I've gone and done sessions with engineering teams around just concepts that may not seem to be relevant in engineering, but end up being hugely valuable. Like things like storytelling, mm-hmm. for example, uh, to be able to convey or influence ideas, to clearly communicate you know, why you do things, which is so critical when you start to make informed engineering decisions that go into building really great That's products. Right. You know, like, uh, like Justin does. He, he's a great storyteller, but usually they're, they're with like puppets. Yes, that's right. Are, are you yeah, there? Talking animals. <laughs> look, look. Uh, we, with the Justin and Mark sock puppet uh, <laughs> carnival here, we everyone the, <laughs> everyone has their level. Okay, don't judge. <laughs> that, 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 don't judge. See, yeah, we all manage different things. <laughs> Indeed. Um, the, <laughs> so, I am I am fascinated though because you work in a it's a very regulated mm-hmm. industry. Uh, you're coming from a technology company, right? Because you were PayPal before right. you joined and came on board SP. So I'm imagining SP Power didn't have this SP digital no. arm. And now you're commissioned with building mm-hmm. a team. How do you even go about doing that in a company that hasn't really had this capability? Yeah, so uh, that's a question a lot of people end up asking me because uh, I think the first question came up is like, why? Why do you even bother going to... Why Why do you even bother going to a, a utility company? Because utilities are conservative and uh, having been in one, I, I mean, I can clearly tell you that utilities are really conservative and uh, they are very process-driven because... Utility company, companies are basically operators. They are asset owners and they are operators. Uh, if you look at my company today, uh, SB Digital, amongst the other subsidiaries of Singapore Power, um, I'm the team who has almost no assets, like, or very, very little assets. 
Whereas the other, the other uh, ones of my subsidiaries, they are asset holders. So the mindset of the, the company and how the company is being run is actually very, very different. And being an operator, you, you don't really care too much about uh, building software. In fact, I think the understanding of software is actually very low uh, uh, in SP. I think in generally in, in the utility industry, that is changing, of course, globally. But uh, in the past, uh, so if you operate large machinery, you buy a piece of equipment, say a transformer, a switchgear, they cost you $10, $20 million, right? And they use them for 30, 40 years. So that's the kind of cycle that uh, uh, this utility companies are used to. You look at a piece of software uh, where the technology can go obsolete within six months. It's almost unimaginable for an uh, operator in you know, utility. And uh, so the, the mindset is actually very different. Um, but the good thing about what I, uh, about my experience, I think uh, I went in at a time where there's, um, and there is still a lot of uh, uh, interest, a lot of, uh, if I can dare say, hype about uh, digital transformation. And also there's a lot of disruption in the industry itself, not just in Singapore, uh, which they are, but also globally in the uh, power utility industry. Um, a lot of new technologies have come on board, like uh, solar, like renewables, like energy storage systems. Uh, a lot of regulatory changes mm-hmm. have come about. Um, and basically, the world is changing, right? The, the very fact that things like electric cars has taken the world by storm, uh, literally. I mean, electric vehicles are being talked about all the time now. Um, these kind of things are really disrupting the uh, the traditional business of a utility. And um, so yeah, a lot of people in the industry, in the utility industry, are interested to say, hey, how do we deal with these problems? We don't have the skill set. We don't have the capabilities. So very often they bring people from outside the industry. And I so happen to be one of those who, who sort of saw that, hey, maybe there's something interesting going on in this industry. So I joined. And um, since I've been building software engineering teams all my life, all my career, so one of the first things I do uh, naturally is say, hey, you know what? Uh, what I try to build was software team to build uh, software products to in order to counter some of this disruption to be in order to to do something for uh, Singapore Power. So that's that's what I really did. Um, as to how I did it um, is how I did it with the other companies I I, I used to run. It's through my contacts to people I know, uh, people who used for work for me before, and people who know me by by uh, by no uh, through contacts, association, association. Uh, right. and mm. so on. And um, but that's how I built my team. Mm. You know, the what's really interesting is um, the the question that, that we often ask in, in industries uh, like financial services um, have something to do with who is your competitor? And the answer is always supposed to be, well, it's not your natural competitors, the other financial services organizations, the big banks, but it's the fintechs and the challenger banks and things like that. And so mm-hmm. in your industry, in the energy industry, what, are, what is the new digital competitor that you are worried about? Who's disrupting you? So it, it really depends on which part of the chain you're talking about because uh, the industry is a chain. It starts from generation going down to transmission and distribution then it uh, goes down to, to retail. Uh, and that's really the, the entire chain uh, because the whole industry is so regulated and not just regulated in Singapore, it's like uh, the whole world. Uh, it, utilities are always regulated as far as I know. 
but at the same time, uh, the regulations are trying to turn uh, it from being a, a monopoly, what they call a vertically integrated utility, to be broken up into small little pieces. So if very often the different pieces are sort of like uh, static. So in Singapore, for example, um, there is no other transmission distribution utility other than Singapore Power. So we are monopoly. And if you look at many other countries, it's the same. So even though they have, like uh, in UK, they have a few transmission distribution uh, utilities, but they are geographically mm-hmm. uh, isolated from each other. It's quite rare for them mm-hmm. to overlap. And that's because it's a natural monopoly, right? Because right? you know, having two overlapping is, is it's it's a waste of resources. So the the industry itself uh, faces very little uh, as a power utility faces very little competition. The other things that are disrupting it are usually the technologies, uh, like solar, for example, uh, in Singapore especially. Uh, but in other countries, there are lots of different types of renewables, like wind, you know, like uh, uh, and solar, uh, like your tidal, and, and so on. So all of these things are really disrupting the the, tech, uh, the the industry because if you look at what a utility is, it's really about a economy of scale because you know that's what uh, the utility does. It brings energy to places where you are not generating energy. So ge- energy is generated at one end, uh, the power plants and so on, and transmitted and distributed to the locations that are not that don't have it. But you look at like uh, uh, wind and look at solar, they are actually already distributed. So that sort of breaks up the need for utilities. And that's why it is so disruptive to the entire industry. Uh, you add on the element of uh, the uh, energy storage systems, uh, the big batteries, where in the past, electricity, when it's generated, it needs to be consumed. Now you, you can actually store it and use it at a later date. So that really changes the entire uh, landscape of uh, utilities and, and electricity. Um, and of course, the new things like uh, uh, cars, electric vehicles, uh, where, you know, yeah, so whole right. thing. You, you have so much so more, much demand, more demand. Right? But if you look at it, the cars themselves are nothing but mobile batteries. So you have something what they call a, a vehicle to grid, V2G where now the car itself can be a mobile battery. So again, you, you turn the equation around. Uh, so a lot of these kind of things, uh, I mean, I'm talking in very gener- generic terms now, but a lot of these things are actually causing quite uh, a bit of chaos within the uh, uh, power utility industry. And these are the things that spur the utilities to say, hey, you know, if really at one day where either I lose my monopoly or rather the... Uh, the uh, the monopoly that I have doesn't have much meaning because the price drops so much. Uh, for me to own the assets, the, the grid is kind of not worth a lot anymore. Then how do I still continue surviving? So a lot of, uh, yeah, a lot of these utilities, right. especially in Europe, have been facing this existential question for many years now. In fact, some of them did really badly. They had to, they split themselves. They lost like huge amounts of their uh, capital uh, Capitalization, so uh, they they ended up really badly. That hasn't really happened in this part of the world yet, in in Asia. But you know, when you see other com- countries, other regions facing this, you you get a fear in you, right? So that yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. It's like you're seeing these things happen elsewhere, and you're looking at uh, your own situation, your own company, particularly in Singapore, which is 
so much smaller than a Germany or a right. France or all these big European countries. And you're also challenged with, okay, you don't have real natural mm-hmm. sources of energy, but you also now need to balance it out with things like sustainability. Absolutely. Like, so it's like, it's, it's like a really interesting equation and in how technology is trying to serve both the, uh, this idea mm-hmm. of sustainability, being competitive, and understanding that you're competing against potential other resources of energy. Yeah. So in Singapore, we are kind of unique because Singapore, the uh, uh, energy, the electricity is supplied primarily through natural gas. Uh, we burn natural gas at the uh, uh, power stations. Right. And is 95% of it is, is through natural gas. Either is it uh, uh, piped through Malaysia or Indonesia or is uh, uh, delivered through liquid natural gas uh, through the LNG tankers. But they are all natural gas. There's actually very little mm-hmm. renewable energy in Singapore itself. Uh, and that's because of a because the location where we are, we hardly have any wind. We don't have tidal. There yeah, no really is no wind, right? <laughs> so uh, I think you need about... Uh, if I remember my, my numbers correctly, about eight meters per second kind of uh, uh, wind speeds, but in Singapore, it's about two meters per second. So we don't really have enough wind. Uh, we don't have any wind. That's windows. fascinating. That's fascinating. You know, that had never, I've been to Singapore many times and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I lived there for a short period and it's never occurred to me, but you're absolutely right. I've never had a windy day in Singapore. Yeah, I, I will say though, it makes it really easy to windsurf here because I, I don't fall down at all. It's really great. Like I don't go anywhere. Yes, but uh, you but I don't yeah. fall down well, either. It's not so much it's not so much windsurfing as wind standing. Wind standing on your board. <laughs> it, it is a it is a very competitive sport here in Singapore. That is that is such it's fascinating. The can I ask a question? Sure. This is a critical question. Um, do you think that Tesla is a competitor for your digital company. So, so Tesla is a very fascinating uh, use case in the energy industry because they mm. are actually not a car company. Tesla is an uh, energy tech company, which is right. exactly, what, exactly. I, what I do. Right. In fact, uh, a lot of things I, I, I do, I really look at what Tesla is. Obviously, we, we don't build cars and things like that. But in terms of batteries, in terms of running the backend systems, in terms of doing like... Uh, you know the uh, solar city, the, the the solar rooftops, and so on. They are really talking about the uh, their energy company, uh, energy tech company. So uh, I think coming to Singapore, they would definitely be a competitor uh, in a sense. But the energy tech is such a big field, right? So you're looking at uh, say, I do fintech. Is another fintech company going to be a competitor? Unless you are exactly into the same area, you are not really. Uh, going to compete because the overlaps is not that that much. You know, so I, I would say mm. hey, Tesla is in that that same area where we are in, which is energy tech. But uh, in terms of the things that we do, uh, we are a little bit different. Um, for example, I one of my products, or rather uh, one group of my products, actually serve utilities. So we are building products for utility companies, uh, whereas Tesla don't actually do that. Like, so, in that sense, we are not that, that, that of a competitor. But having said that, of course, uh, if Tesla uh, decides to to decides to, to get into it, I'm quite sure they are going to do it, uh, which is like any other company. What do you think of the new? Uh, what do you think of the new Tesla truck? Have you seen that? Have you seen I have only seen the video of it, so I've not actually seen it. It is 
I, I like I like the effect they have on the windows, <laughs> like the ones that kind of look like uh, it got bashed in with a baseball bat. I think it's a really nice, uh, <laughs> yeah. really nice sheen, uh, fashionable, yeah. very fashionable. Um, I mean, it, it it wouldn't look out of place in Blade Runner, <laughs> right? It has a very interesting look, I must say that. But generally speaking, <laughs> generally speaking, trucks aren't much of a use in Singapore. I mean, like you lived in Singapore <laughs> yeah, before, true. right? So. Yeah, yeah. It is yeah. meaningless to drive a truck in Singapore, actually. Yeah. So I'm I'm interested just just returning to the the software engineering. Um, the and this is I have zero experience in this, um, but the writing of software to manage the the flow of power back to the grid, and then the management of power uh, contributions, net contributions from mm-hmm. the grid, mm-hmm. uh, is. Uh, how do we? How do you think about that as a software problem? So the, the the field is actually very wide. The kind of software you talked about is generally what people term as smart grid, and um, there are many companies doing this already. It's not a, a not a new area. It's not a new field. It has been around for at least 10, 20 years. They have been talking about smart grid for at least that long. Um, the big companies like Siemens and uh, ABB and so on. These are the companies that uh, General Electric. These are the companies that uh, really dive into this area. Um, and they definitely have the cloud and, and so on. So um, in those areas where, where I mean, as SB Digital being part of a utility company, our strength lies in that uh, we know the operations part of it. We are part of the operator. Whereas the, uh, the vendors like Siemens and ABB and, and General Electric, they, are, they sell equipment. Uh, for that purpose, right? So I think we have complementary mm, okay. capabilities. So we try to uh, to inject our knowledge and our capabilities into this uh, and work with the, the, the big boys, the Siemens, the ABB, and so on. A couple of things I thought was really interesting is just the fact that being someone that's been both an engineering leader as well as a business leader, having that breadth of experience is incredibly additive to being a, a better, more well-rounded engineering leader. I think the second thing I take away is uh, if, if you've been in a, in a technology leadership role uh, you, uh, and you're still very aware of the technology, you're just going to be that much better equipped to managing an engineering team and building products because you'll have a grounding and understanding of what the technology is that's being used and used to build these products. Yeah. So I think those are really the, the two things that I, I took away from this conversation. Yeah, I mean, it's so important. I completely agree. It's so important to be to be grounded. I suppose if I had to to come up with one word, um, I, I think I think I think that's the word that you nailed it with. Because you know, Salshong, what comes across is the groundedness of uh, your business leadership in your engineering knowledge. Uh, I think is is uh, is impressive. And similarly, the groundedness of your um, business and consumer understanding um, and why you are building and writing the software that you are, I think is also impressive. And so this is the balance that I think we have to, as engineering leaders or as leaders generally, um, really challenge ourselves to, to push. And that is to make sure that we understand what and how we're building and also make sure that our teams understand why they are building what they're building mm-hmm. and how it adds value, right? Um, 
So thank you. This has been an absolutely fascinating, uh, fascinating uh, conversation. Uh, thank you for spending time with us. Thank you. Thank you for asking me to be here. Yeah, no, thank you so much, Xiao Shang. And uh, thank you, everyone, for listening to another Heretex, Heretex podcast episode with Justin and Mark. And we look forward to having further conversations. Thank you so much. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Heretex podcast today. We hope you listen to another one really soon. Please accept our apologies for any technical issues and sound quality. We promise we're getting better, and we hope you are too. See you soon.